think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. On Sacramental Things by Hilaire Belloc It is good for a man's soul to sit down in the silence by himself and to think of those things which happen by some accident to be in communion with the whole world. If he has not the faculty of remembering these things in their order and of calling them up one after another in his mind, then let him write them down as they come to him upon a piece of paper. They will comfort him. They will prove a sort of solace against the expectation of the end. To consider such things is a sacramental occupation. And yet the more I think of them, the less I can quite understand in what elements their power consists. A woman smiling at a child, not knowing that others see her, and holding out her hands towards it, and in one of her hands flowers. An old man, lean and active, with an eager face, walking at dusk upon a warm and windy evening westward towards a clear sunset, below dark and flying clouds. A group of soldiers, seen suddenly in maneuvers, each man intent upon his business, all working at the wonderful trade, taking their places with exactitude and order, and yet with elasticity. A deep, strong tide running back to the sea, going noiselessly and flat and black and smooth, and heavy with a purpose under an old wall, the sea smell of a channel seaport town, a ship coming up at one out of the whole sea when one is in a little boat and is waiting for her, coming up at one with her great sails, merry and every one doing its work, with a life of the wind in her, and a balance, rhythm, and given in all that she does which marries her to the sea, whether it be a force and aft rig, and one sees only great lines of the white, or a square rig, and one sees what is commonly and well called a leaning tower of canvas, or that primal rig, the triangular sail that cuts through the airs of the world and clove away for the first adventures, whatever its rig, a ship so approaching and awaiting boat from which we watch her is one of the things I mean. I would that the taste of my time permitted a lengthy list of such things. They are pleasant to remember. They do so nourish the mind. A glance of sudden comprehension mixed with mercy and humor from the face of a lover or a friend. The noise of wheels when the guns are going by. The clatter-clank-clank of the pieces and the shouted halt at the head of the column. The noise of many horses. The metallic but united and harmonious clamor of all those ironed hoofs. Rapidly occupying the highway. Chief and most persistent memory, a great hill when the morning strikes it, and one sees it up before one round the turn of a rock after the long passes and despairs of the night. When a man has journeyed, and journeyed through those hours in which there is no color or shape, all along the little hours that were made for sleep, and when, therefore, the waking soul is bewildered or despairs, the morning is always a resurrection, but especially when it reveals a height in the sky. This last picture I would particularly cherish, so great a consolation is it, and so permanent a grace does it lend later to the burdened mind of man. For when a man looks upon his many journeys, so many rivers crossed, and more than one of them f forded in peril, 
So many swinging mountain roads, so many difficult steeps and such long wastes of plains. Of all the pictures that impress themselves by the art or kindness of whatever God presides over the success of journeys, no picture more remains than that picture of a great hill when the day first strikes it after the long burden of the night. Whatever reasons a man may have for occupying the darkness with his travel and his weariness, those reasons must be out of the ordinary and must go with some bad strain upon the mind. Perhaps one undertook the march from an evil necessity under the coercion of other men, or perhaps in terror, hoping that the darkness may hide one, or perhaps for cool, dreading the unnatural heat of noon in a desert land, or perhaps haste, which is in itself so wearying a thing, compelled one, or perhaps anxiety. Or perhaps most dreadful of all, one hurried through the night afoot because one feared what otherwise the night would bring, a night empty of sleep, and a night whose dreams were waking dreams and evil. But whatever prompts the adventure or the necessity, when the long burden has been borne, when the turn of the hours has come, when the stars have grown paler, when color creeps back grayly and uncertainly to the earth, first in the greens of the high pastures, then here and there upon a rock or a pool with reeds, while all the air, still cool, is full of the scent of morning, while one notices the imperceptible disappearance of the severities of heaven, until at last only the morning star hangs splendid, when in the end of that miracle the landscape is fully revealed, and one finds into what country one has come, then a great hill before one, losing the forest upwards in rock and steep meadow upon its sides, and towering at last into the peaks and crests of the inaccessible places, gives a soul to the new land. The sun, in a single moment, and with the immediate summons of a trumpet call, strikes the spearhead of the high places, and at once the valley, though still in shadow, is transfigured, and with the daylight all manner of things have come back to the world. Hope is the word which gathers the origin of those things together, and hope is the seed of what they mean. But that new light and its new quality is more than hope. Livelihood has come back with the sunrise, and the fixed certitude of the soul, number and measure and comprehension have returned, and a just appreciation of all reality is the gift of the new day. Glory, which, if men would only know it, lies behind all true certitude, illumines and enlivens the seen world, and the living light makes of the true things now revealed something more than truth absolute. They appear as truth acting and creative. The first shaft of the sun is to that hill and valley. Is to that hill and valley what music is to verse, and there lies behind it. One is very sure an infinite progress of such exaltations, so that one begins to understand, as the pure light shines and grows, and as the limit of shadow descends the vast shoulder of the steep, what has been meant by those great phrases which still lead on, still comfort, and still make darkly wise, the uncomforted wondering of mankind, such is the famous phrase, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor can it enter into the heart of man what things God has prepared for those that serve him. So much then is conveyed by a hilltop at sunrise, when it comes upon the traveler or the soldier after the long march of a night, the bending of the shoulders and the emptiness of the dark. Many other things put one into communion with the whole world. What, who does not remember coming over a lifting road to a place where the ridge is topped, and where upon the other side a broad landscape, novel or endeared by memory, for either is a good thing, bursts upon the seized imagination as a wave from the open sea, swelling up in an inland creek, breaks and bursts upon the rocks of the shore. There is a place where a man passes from the main valley of the Rhone over into the valley of the Isir, where the Gresivanden so suddenly comes upon him. 
Two gates of limestone rock, high as the first shoulders of the mountains, lead into the valley which they guard. It is a province of itself, a level floor of thirty miles, nourished by one river and walled in up to the clouds on either side. Or again in the Champagne country, moving between the great blocks of wood and the forest of rams, and always going upward as the ride leads him, a man comes to a point when he suddenly sees all that vast plain of the invasions stretching out to where, very far off against the horizon, two days away, twin summits mark the whole site sharply with a limit as a frame marks a picture or a punctuation a phrase. There is another place more dear to me, which I doubt whether any other but a native of that place can know. After passing through the plow plains of an empty plateau, a traveler breaks through a little fringe of, ch of chestnut hudge and perceives at once before him the wealthiest and most historical of European things, the chief of the great capitals of Christendom, in the arena in which is now debated, which has been, for how long, the faith, the chief problem of this world. Apart from landscape, other things belong to this contemplation. Notes of music, and stronger even than repeated and simple notes of music, a subtle scent and its association, a familiar printed page. Perhaps the test of these sacramental things is their power to revive the past. There is a story translated into the noblest of English written by Desson. It is to be found in his Tales from the Norse. It is called the story of the master maid. A man had found in his youth a woman in the Norwegian hills. This woman was fairy, and there was a spell upon her, but he won her out of it in various ways, and they crossed the sea together, and he would bring her to his father's house, but his father was a king. As they went over to the sea together alone, he said and swore to her that he would never forget how they had met and loved each other without warning, but by an act of God upon the Dover field, come near his father's house, the ordinary influences of the ordinary day touched him. He bade her enter a hut, and wait a moment until he had warned his father of so strange a marriage. She, however, gazing into his eyes, and knowing how the divine may be transformed into the earthly, quite as surely as the earthly into the divine, makes him promise that he will not eat human food. He sits at his father's table, still steeped in her and in the seas. He forgets his vow and eats human food, and at once he forgets. Then follows much for which I have not space, but the woman in the hut by her magic causes herself to be at last sent for to the father's palace. The young man sees her, and is only slightly troubled as by a memory which he cannot grasp. They walk together as strangers, but looking out of the window, by accident the king's son sees a bird and its mate. He points them out to the woman, and she says suddenly, So was it with you and me high upon the Dover field? Then he remembers all. Now that story is a symbol and tells the truth. We see some one thing in this world, and suddenly it becomes particular and sacramental. A woman and a child, a man at evening, a troop of soldiers, we hear notes of music. We smell the smell that went with a past time. Or we discover after the long night a shaft of light upon the tops of the hills at morning. There is a resurrection, and we are refreshed and renewed. But why are all these things are so, neither I nor any other man can tell.